here we are now <laughs> with another episode of the Andrew Lake podcast. <laughs> My name is Dosta, as I'm sure you've worked out by now. Today I'd like to talk about cognitive shapes. Do you see that when you listen to someone or when new information goes into your brain, you're somehow trying to make it fit with the information that you've got. You hold a collection of words and you're feeding yourself, hopefully with some high-quality things, new words, new collections of words. And when someone speaks, they're sharing parts of their collections of words with you, and, then, and there's a merger there. There's a collection of differences. There's, well, there's not a collection. There's two collections, and the differences is what's occurring there. Now, the difference between being open and being closed, the difference between being open and closed is how well that overlap occurs. It's the nature of that overlap. It's how much of it comes in. And there's a few different ways we can talk about this. And it's quite a juicy subject. It's quite a deep thing to get your mind around. And really, these cognitive shapes that I want to talk about address this issue. They address this difference between your collection of words and someone else's collection of words. It really gets at what does it mean to be open and what it means to be closed. What it does it mean to understand something and what does it mean to misunderstand something. What does it mean to comprehend something and what does it mean to miss out on something. There's a difference between re-explaining something and explaining something away. Have you heard this phrase, explaining it away? When someone is telling you something, or you're telling something to someone, either way, and then they say, oh, that's just this. So what you're saying is it's just this. Now there's an indication in that moment of how much they really have understood as an indication of how well the overlap between the two collections of words has occurred. So the meat of what I want to illustrate for you is a rational cognitive shape system. 
or a theory of mind that falls within the rational level of development, level of consciousness development. Now, we are also going to talk about how rationality fits in with other theories of mind and theories of experiencing, but let's just get into the meat of it and the core of the cognitive shapes I want to talk about. There's there's three of them that I want to talk about and I want to illustrate clearly for you. One is the triangle. One is the cube. And the other is the circle. So when we talk, each word has a weight of significance. So we can say the most significant words are the points of the shape. So for the triangle, we say that the top point can be one word, and that is the thing that we're talking about. And then further along, the lines, the edges of that triangle, we fill it with other words, less significant words, which help to prop up and point towards that or have vectors towards that point. And then at the base, we have other words, which are significant but less significant. So if we're talking about cognitive shapes, we can put that term, cognitive shapes, at the top of our triangle. And then further down, we can make another level or another part of the triangle. We can fill it out with the, the triangle, the cube, and the circle. And then I can explain what a triangle is. I can give examples of a triangle. I can say that a triangle in this context is something that has points with different weights of significance to it. And then I can go into the cube and say, well, how are they equally weighted? How is it more complex than the triangle? Then I can talk about the circle. And then we come back up to the top of our shape. We say we're talking about cognitive shapes. So I hope it's not too much to say that the example is of what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what we're talking about. The example is the example. There's another, think, think of it as another example. We can say, well, a, another way to do it would be to have a, a person illustrate a character in this way. So the top of the triangle would be the person's name. Let's say, just for fun, let's say it's Miles Davis. So the point, the top point of the triangle is the name of the person. We say Miles Davis. And okay, if you know nothing about Miles Davis, well, then we can say he's a musician. He's a jazz musician. He plays trumpet. He's American. And so that layer, that next row down is a few words. We've got Miles Davis, one word. And then three words, which is musician, American, trumpet player, jazz musician. 
And then under each of those, we can say, well, what kind of jazz musician, what bands did he play in? What style of trumpet? What era? What sort of tone of trumpet did he have? What sort of range did he have? And he's American, well, what period? Is he African-American? Is he white American? Is he from a poor background? What's his cultural background? Is he rich? And you can see we're fleshing out the triangle. We're getting deeper and deeper and more complex. So if you want to understand something, you can use this shape of the triangle. Basically, when you have an essay structure, when you're writing an essay, it's basically a triangle. You have your essay topic and you have your introduction. So your introduction is a paragraph or so about the essay topic, which is a word or phrase. And then the, the bulk, the body of the essay takes little bits of the introduction and fleshes them out. It fleshes out the key terms. It fleshes it out with examples. It fleshes it out with illustrations. And then the end of the essay is it coming back to the point. And really, there's a difference here that I, there's a tangent here that I can go on, which is the difference between spoken word, written word, and a conversation. Now, when you're having a conversation, it's very different to the written word in that there's not always a clear point. It's not always cut and dry. It's not so neat. In the spoken word and in, the, in a conversation style, you're sort of just floating around and la allowing things to happen as they happen, depending on the context and the situation. If you have, say, a university lecture happening, that's going to be more formal. That's going to be more like a triangle. Whereas if you're just talking to your friends, you might not even really know what you're talking about. Things are just flowing how they flow along. So keep that in mind when you're digesting your information or your new knowledge. And be open to it. Be open to each form of new ways of thinking and taking in the cognitive structure. But if we move along in our narrative, we can come to the cube. So the cube is different into the triangle in that it has multiple points. So instead of an essay, uh, instead of an essay subject, it's more like that there's multiple essay subjects and each of them are related. So they have corners where they show how each part is related to another part, but not necessarily related to all the parts. So the corner of a cube has a line that goes to three other corners. Whereas in a triangle, all corners point to the one point and all edges point to the one point. So you can create a more complex structure by saying that jazz music is not necessarily related only to Miles Davis. And trumpet playing is not only related to Miles Davis. And if you wanted to go back onto a 
tangent about trumpet playing and more generally about jazz trumpet and talk about other trumpet players, well, then you're looking at a way of talking, a way of understanding Miles Davis, which includes more than just Miles Davis. It's a cognitive structure that's more complex, it's deeper, and it's more dynamic in how it moves apart how, how it moves around the part and how the weights of significance. So or, we say that in a, in a pyramid structure or a triangle structure, there's one point that is the most significant thing. Whereas in a cube structure, you have six corners, which are, sorry, eight corners. How many, how many corners on a cube? That's eight, isn't it? Doesn't matter. Six faces, eight cubes, whatever it is. Those corners are equal in weight. And so that's a little bit different. And that shows how to really put things together, which are related, but it also shows where they're not related. So distinguishing what is part of something meaningful and what is part of a definition and what isn't is part of the con- part of the conversation it's part of the illustration and it's part of what it means to understand something so if you're understanding jazz music or miles davis specifically there's a point where you say no that's not miles davis Tr- jazz trumpet or a certain style of trumpet is not what miles davis got into and you can actually define part of his trumpet playing by saying that it's not like this. It's not like classical music. It's not like what happened in a different period of time. It's not like what happened in a different part of the world. And then you'd be explaining what was it like in the other parts of the world? What were other musicians doing? Was it like Afro-Cuban music? Was it like soul music? Was it like the bossa nova music? You can say, well, there's a, there's a link there, there's a contrast there where you're explaining certain things which are not necessarily of less significance, but they are defined and made as, well, I've lost my thought, I've lost my train of thought. It's, the, the point is that there's, there's a way of defining things by what they're not and also in relation to what they are, and also how they're connected to and related to what they're not. And that sort of comes to my next point, which is this phrase, what's the point? When you hear someone talking, and you're thinking, they're just going on and on, and I don't really understand what they're talking about, and you, you have this feeling to say, what's the point? What are you saying? That is an indication of a cognitive structure which doesn't have a summary to it. So this is like reverse engineering our triangle or our cube. Instead of starting with the corner and starting with one word, what you can do is actually talk and flesh things out and then say, now how do you say all of that again in just a few words? And this entire conversation so far, what we've been talking about today, are cognitive shapes. It's theory of mind. And perhaps more specifically at this point, we're sticking strictly to the the rational... I just dropped my book. 
just a minute. We're, we're sticking to the rational forms of cognitive shapes. So that point helps you summarize everything. And really, when you have someone who knows what they're talking about, that's another, this is another key phrase. Does this person know what they're talking about or do they not? And sometimes you listen to someone and you say, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't really know what he's saying. And then there's times where you say, wow, this person really knows what they're talking about. This person really does have a way to explain things well. This person has done their research or so on. This, these things, the difference there is that they've explained it in a complex way. They've fleshed out the details. They've done the base of the pyramid or the edges of the cube. And then they've also given you the, the apex. They've also given you the point. They've given you the corner. They've given you an easy way to hold it all together with one term. Now, there is also the thing of the person themselves. Now, speech, particularly spoken word, is nested in the uh, a, a personal expression. So there's a conviction that is, that is separate to the actual content of the word. So as I talk now, there's a conviction that I have which can also help you to say, you know what you're talking about or help you to feel I know what I'm talking about. So if someone is relaxed and they feel confident with the material and they can talk with a certain tone of voice, a certain calmness, and if it's clear to them, then it means they know what they're talking about. And that's different to having a Ability to summarize something. Ability to explain something with a clear point. So those two things work together. I mean, let, let's try and put it into an, an extreme an extreme example. What would someone be like if they knew what they were talking about, but they didn't explain it well and they didn't know the point? That's... Well, I don't know if that would ever happen. What is that like? Or someone, let's say someone with a, you can have someone with a really strong conviction, but they're not clear and they're not illustrating their point and they don't know what the, they don't have a simple organized cognitive structure of their mind. They don't say, have the ability to summarize what they're talking about and they don't know how to say how each part is related and use clear examples. So conviction is different to clarity of mind. It's possible to be very convinced and to have great conviction in your neuroses. <laughs> I'm having some politicians come to mind now. <laughs> really, in a sense, politics is you just have the conviction. You you only have the conviction and you push your way in with your personal, doesn't matter, anything goes, there's no point to it, and there's no need to explain clearly. It's just conviction, conviction. Maybe this is just my ignorance on the topic of politics. Let's not get into that, but this is... 
let's not let's not turn in the let's not turn this into a rant against politics. Let's move on with our conversation. So we've got the triangle, we've got the cube, and the third one I want to talk about is the circle. So when someone's talking in circles, have you heard that phrase before? Can you imagine what that's like? You're ter- you're talking in circles. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where you're talking for a long time and then all of a sudden you're talking about the same thing you were 10 minutes ago and it's like they're on repeat. You say, well, we've said this already. We've discussed this already. You already said that. And you can call them out and you could say you've already said this. Now, the circle as a cognitive structure, when done consciously and rationally, is actually a legitimate way of illustrating an idea. And how it works is you start with one thing and then you move along, you move around, and then you come back to it again. And if you know that you're coming back to it again, you can see how it's different and then you can circle around, add new things, and come back again, and it's changed again because of what you've added in. So a circle begins with one point, and then a line goes out and comes around to the original point again. And then it circles around again on a different line, or it can lengthen the line, and it can become longer and bigger, and that circle is expanding. If you can imagine a circle that's growing longer and longer, and there's a, a point on it, like a planet going around the sun, and it gets larger and larger. And actually, that's very similar to, that's actually not a circle shape, it's a spiral shape. So a spiral that has a, a line down the side of it, or an intersection on it, would be like a circle cognitive shru- structure. The problem with this spiral as a cognitive structure is that it spirals out of control. It goes into babble. It goes into rambling or gobbledygook. So when you have someone who is stringing things together and it doesn't come back to the original point where it was first, where you first started, then you say they're spiraling out of control and they're not making any sense. Coming back to where you started is very important with clear cognitive structures. And in fact, it's possible to venture off into all sorts of things and you can go really anywhere so long as you come back to where you started. So talking, when you're reading, you can notice, or when you're listening to someone talk, you can notice when they come back to something that they've said before, try and notice how it's different. Try and notice if it's grown or if it's changed. And someone who really knows this, they know the circle shape of cognitive structures, they can create a lot of momentum in their talks because they keep coming back to something and each time it's developed, each time it's changed. You remember we were talking about Miles Davis. So if I was to explain to, to someone what Miles Davis is like, in a circular shape, every time I talk about Miles Davis, I would give you a different album by Miles Davis. I could give something, give you something from a different period. I could give you something from 
a different band that he was playing with. It would be a different style. And that would be different to me saying, you know, every time I see you, I give you a different album of Miles Davis, as opposed to every time I see you, I'm just talking about the same album. Every time I see that guy, he's just talking about the same Miles Davis album. He doesn't even know that he's already told me about it. So be conscious of, well, this is my job, I guess, is I need to be conscious of what I've told you and how certain, well, certain things you need to hear multiple times anyway. Certain things need to be shifted and some things need to be hit home over and over again. So that's, that's the circular cognitive shape. Now, this is all really sort of mind stuff. It's theory of mind and it's theory of words. It's theory of how words go into you and your mind. There's also the experiential thing of what is it like inside you to have a triangle, a cube, or a circle. And they all have their own feelings they all have their own sort of experiences around them. And that's something that's beyond the mind. It's something that's more of significance. It's to do with your emotions. It's to do with your, your being. It's to do with what is significant to you. What is coming up for you on a regular basis. Now, when you have the triangle... And that's your cognitive structure, or for want of a better term, we can say your current consciousness structure. When you're walking around with a triangle inside you, there is this one word that is very meaningful. It's very deep. It's a powerful word. It's a word like infinity. This is your core concept Everything you do, everything you think about somehow points towards that. Everything can be explained by infinity. And then when you hear that word, your ears prick up. And that word is always bubbling. And you can explain anything in terms of infinity. You can say that there's something so powerful, there's something extremely significant about that word and it's just that one word it's just that one word if only others could see how big and how gargantuan that one word is and you could talk for hours about that word you could write a book about it and you have read books about it and they all come down to this one thing infinity and that's just the peak, that's just the apex of your triangle. It's your way of understanding what's happening to your being. It's your daily feelings. They're all surrounded by this one point, And everything else falls down the sides into lesser and lesser significance. And when you come across something that has nothing to do with infinity, well then it's like, that's, that's the base of the pyramid. That's the base of the triangle. It really, it, in some ways, it is connected to infinity, but it's a far way away. So that's just how you feel about this one thing, this peak of the triangle. 
Now, when you have a cube bouncing around inside of you, there is no apex. There's no one thing. You're not going to say that there is infinity and infinity is the most important thing. That's not how you feel about reality. That's not what your life is like. That's not what your daily life is like. You have five or six core things that are important to you and they are of equal value. And they might be your activities. They might be the feelings that you have. How you feel in the morning. How you feel when you eat food. How you feel when you're with a certain person. These can be corners of the cube. How you feel at work. How you feel when you're meditating. How you feel when you're reading books. These are corners of the cube and they're equal in their significance to you. And you build them up in equal significance and you explain them in equal significance. And in a sense, you don't need to unify them. You don't need to say, well, how do you sum up your work life and your morning emotions and your relationship to food and diet, you don't need to say, well, what's the undercurrent or what's the overarching point? What's the point of it all? You don't need to say that because you've got a cube bouncing around in you. And some parts are related and some parts are not related. Maybe meditation and eating food is related for you. And that would mean that the two corners of the cube are right next to each other. They're brother-sister corners. And maybe they're not. Maybe they're on opposite ends of the cube. Maybe they have nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with each other. And that's your explanation. And I think by now you can get a bit of an idea of what it's like to be in the triangle and the cube. Now, what does it feel like to be in a circle? To feel like things are going in circles. We're walking in circles. Have you heard that term before? The theme of things going full circle. I've done this before. This has happened before. I'm sick of this. I've done this so many times. I need a change. <laughs> Being in a circle can be a bit monotonous. It's, uh, <laughs> well, it, it's both positive and negative. It's like, I mean, it, like all things, it doesn't have to be negative or positive. It, it can be like a repetition. The, the repetition of your daily life can be a positive thing. It's like, uh, let me just take a, a breather and think about it while I take off my jumper. Well, your experience of a circle sort of life can be, if done consciously, it can be like a cognitive shape, like a mind shape. So when you're using a cognitive structure of a circle and you're using it as a theory of mind, you have a point which comes over and over again, but each time it's different and you recognize how it's different each time. So when you have something going over and over again in your life, the secret is to see how it's different each time. And you know that it's coming again. You know that it's a circle coming over and over again. So how is it? Be sensitive to how it's different. And also to even consciously sometimes 
Say, I want to go back to something. I want to relive something. Now, I'm feeling a little tangent open up about fulfilling childhood desires. So we have this conditioning in our childhood where we want to do certain things. And some psychoanalysts or psychologists might argue that a lot of our adult life is trying to fulfill those things that we wanted to do as a child. So there's some truth in that. There is something that we want to do with our life, which is reflected or was in our origins in our early years. And that's a big kettle of fish to open up. That's a, that's a Pandora's box. <laughs> that's, that's a, probably too much of a tangent that I don't want to go down. But this idea of things going full circle and going back to what you've done before with new knowledge and doing it in a new way is at least one structure that you can use for your inner being, for your inner feelings. So try and think, what's a feeling that you haven't had for a long time? What's something that you haven't done for a long time? What's something that you used to do all the time that you don't do anymore? And try to imagine what it would be like to now go back and do that thing. It could be a hobby. It could be just any sort of activity. It could be a creative project. It could be something playful. And maybe there's something to be said about when you have kids and you see the kid growing up and you're redoing all the things. Well, what what did you do when they were your age, when, when you were their age? You just do that. You just do it again and you get to do it again. And that's why you have all these parents doing baby noises like... There's a lot of fun in that make funny noises and pull faces at the baby because that's what you really want to do. And that's what you did as a baby. You pulled funny faces. So you get to, in a sense, relive that moment for yourself as a way of things going full circle. Now, the there's also this thing of the vicious circle, which is the conditioning of your parents going on to you and you then conditioning your children and there's a lot to be said about breaking out of the circle. So if you're aware of the circle as an experiential pattern, which is beyond a cognitive pattern, then you can really start to open things up and you can use it in a sort of rebellious way and you can be more outward in you're experiencing. So the rebellion happens with all of these, the triangle, the cube, and the circle. You can say, I'm not going to be a triangle. So when if you're walking around saying infinity is the most important thing in the world, or Miles Davis is the best musician ever, then you can, you can do the opposite. You could say, well, how do I equalize that? And how do I look at all musicians? And how do I not get so hung up on these big terms like infinity or 
<laughs> Miles Davis. I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if anyone's talked about infinity and Miles Davis in the same sentence, but you heard it here first. <laughs> Could be any musician. I'm just talking about Miles Davis because I've been thinking about him recently and thought it would be a good example for this. So there's a few other things that we can talk about and there's other sort of pillars of cognitive shapes that we can talk about where and maybe at this point I would like to say that there's something for me with me talking which I have to contend with which is that at any given moment I can see multiple tangents to go on it's like as I talk there's five different options of where it can go. And the one that I choose is not always the best. And the tangents that I go on often open up new things. And I have to go down there as like an avenue for a little way, but then not go too far to get back on track. So this way of navigating speech and coming to understanding through speech is, well, it's all part of the cognitive shapes game. Like if you can follow what I'm saying about avenues and tangents and going off on a rabbit hole or talking into something that's off in the woods, then you can follow what I'm saying. And even I can use it as a technique to illustrate what it's like not to have a point to what you're saying and to say something which isn't coherent, which is just words and how I feel about words happening and not bothering too much about my sentences and just keeping the flow going. And in a few moments, I'm going to have some more terms for you coming up. Let me just see how this happens with words happening. And then if there's a break... Well, you can always just stop and start a new thought and let your thoughts run. I wouldn't want to do this for too long, though, because it's just mind sharing, which in a sense, there's no difference between that and just talking normally. And that's part of the game of talking is having that difference between your mind and what's authentic come out. So if you can follow along and be open to things not resolving, then you can really get a thrill out of listening to someone who doesn't make sense. There's quite a joy and a humor in listening to someone who has no point to what they're saying. It's quite exciting. It's quite an adventure. If you listen to someone who's babbling... Listen to someone who's talking gobbly, gobbledygook. You can get so much out of it. So long as you know that their cognitive shapes are missing. You don't want to turn around and say, what's the point to that person? You don't want to say, there's no reason for what you're saying. Really, words bubble from a person's state. And it's possible to listen beyond words. It's possible to listen to the tone of voice, to the emotion. 
And if someone's really connected with how they speak and who they are, after a certain point, you're going to get a sense of what this person is like. And really, these cognitive shapes of the triangle, the cube, the circle, it can even get in the way of trying to understand someone. If you're trying to fit what their message is into some of those things, you can even leave it aside and just listen, just take in the words and really be attentive to what they're saying. And just be okay that it's not going to be clean. It's not going to make sense. It might be gobbledygook. It might just be a mess. But remember, to them, there's some sense to it. To them, they have a feeling of it. And that comes to another big section, another chapter in this talk, which is how cognitive shapes fit into rationality and rationality fits into the larger picture of consciousness structures. So when we talk about rationality, we talk about having a point, which is a thesis, and then an antithesis, which contradicts that original point, and then a third point, which is the synthesis. So rationality is a three-pronged fork of thesis, antithesis, synthesis. And that synthesis then become, can become a thesis for the next section, and then you have another ant antithesis, antithesis, and it goes on and on and on like that. Now that's rationality. Now, rationality is huge. Rationality is where our global culture is at, at the moment. We're right in the thick of rationality. And these phrases, do you have a reason for that? That's not rational. Is that scientific? What's the point of that? Why is that? All of that is stuck in this world of rationality. It's all coming from this thing of rationality. And what we need to understand is where rationality has come from and where it's going to. So where rationality came from, the stage before it, was the mythic stage of consciousness development. And the mythic stage of consciousness development doesn't have the thesis, antithesis, synthesis. The mythic stage of consciousness development has a story, it has characters, it has a plot, it has a scene, it has a drama to it. It's the religions of the world. It's the mythology of the world. So there's mythology and rationality came out of it, came after it. Now, it didn't, it didn't conquer it. This is the difference, is that, well, we're talking... We're talking spiral dynamics here, but we're talking. I'm talking more generally about developmental psychology. So, rationality didn't conquer it. It's a part of. It included it. If it's if it's well integrated, then it included it. And also, we need to go beyond the rationality, which I've said before. So, beyond rationality, we have pluralism. 
So when I say that we talk about cognitive structures and we try and fit someone into these cognitive structures and we listen to them with an open mind and we don't try and fit them, well, that's the pluralistic way of listening to someone. So you can listen to someone and say, well, what's their story? And then if you're, well, how do I, how do I sit this apart? Like, like say you're, there's, there's three ways you can listen to someone. You can, you can listen to someone as a, as a mythic, as, as you are. So there's one person talking. It, it gets complicated because that person can be saying, say, say you've got one person talking. And it doesn't matter too too much what they're saying. Let's say you've got, let's talk about you first and how you listen to that person. So you can listen to that person as a mythic listener. And that means you're going to want a story. You're going to be telling a story. And it's going to make most sense to you if you hear a story. Now, if you're rational and you're listening to that person, you're going to want reasons for what they're saying. You're going to say, why is that? You're going to contradict them. You're first going to contradict them. You're going to give them an antithesis, and then they will have to give you a synthesis. So they'll say something, you'll contradict them, and then you'll want the synthesis. And if they can deliver you a convincing synthesis, then you'll say, yes, that's rational. And that's where these cognitive shapes come into. So if someone is talking about something like Miles Davis and you are in a triangle cognitive shape and that's what you're talking about and that's what you understand best, that's what's in your being at that time, then you will say, well, what about this about Miles Davis? What about this about his music? What about what these people say about him? And if that person then can hit something back, and integrate that to what they're saying about Miles Davis, then it will work for you in that cognitive structure. But then we go beyond the rational and we have the pluralistic. And pluralistic is where we say we accept everyone for who they are. We listen to them no matter how they want to say. Now, pluralism is a huge thing. It's just emerging in our global culture now because we have the internet and we have all these people saying who they are. There's so much tension and culture wars and the, the fighting and the gnashing and the, the conflict between worldviews, the conflict between perspectives. There are paradigms clashing all over the place because now we have access to other people's worldviews and we don't have the pluralistic way of seeing things. We don't have the way to say, yes, we need to listen to everyone without putting a cognitive shape onto them, without trying to fit them into a triangle or a cube or a circle. We need to accept them as they are and really be open to how they are. And don't get me wrong, the, the green meme is what we also call the plur, plur, in spiral dynamics, pluralism is the green meme. It's stage green. It is also with its faults and its problems and its neuroses and its dangers, its mistakes. So each stage has its pros and cons, its problems and its flowering form and its destructive form. So 
here we're trying to clear that up. We're trying to say that if you're listening to someone, there's three ways that you can listen to them, which is the mythic, rational, or the pluralistic. And when you're in the rational, you can use this triangle, cube, or the circle. And you can use the triangle, cube, or the circle as a, as a collection of words, a way of organizing the words. Or you can also use it as an inner being sort of feeling, an experience. Is this person talking in circles? Or does this person have a number of points that are equally weighted? Which would be the cube, the eight corners of the cube. Or is this someone who's trying to make one really strong point? They've got one really big, heavy point. It's the apex of the triangle, the apex of the pyramid. So pluralistic, rational, and mythic. Triangle, cube, and circle. And how words are organized, how open you are to someone. This is all part of the game of comprehension and expanding worldviews. So really, your job or your, your prime directive, the point of having cognitive shapes. So what we're talking about is cognitive shapes. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> we come back to that again. It's been a couple of times I've tried to say, what is the point? So <laughs> there's circles of, this is a circle of points. <laughs> We've been here before. I'm t talking in circles and I'm going meta and I'm talking about that. I'm talking about what I'm talking about. <laughs> Can you hear what's happening? Can you follow that's that line of reasoning? <laughs> what's the point? So the point is, yeah. So what's the point of cognitive? What's the point of cognitive shapes? It's what I said at the start, which is your collection of words and my collection of words overlap. And as you sit there listening to me, each thing I say is going into your being. It's going into your mind. It's affecting you in some way. Now, how does it affect you? Are you seeing that it makes sense? Are you seeing that it's clear? Can you sense how clear it is for me? Can you hear that at some points I'm comfortable with what I'm saying and then at other points it's not so comfortable and there's a variation there? Can you hear that it might be that you even disagree with what I'm saying? You might be saying that I'm wrong. It might even be that you're saying you have a better way of explaining it. You have a clearer way of saying it. Can you sense what it's like to have a connection between what I'm saying and what you're hearing? 
How do words affect you? How does the tone of someone's voice affect you? How do you feel about these questions? How do you feel about me confronting you and turning it back on you with how you're receiving what I'm saying? Is it invasive? Is it hard for you? Or are you quite easy and quite relaxed? Is it possible for you to answer lots of questions with simple answers? How is it for you to receive words when someone is talking? And that's really the point. That's really what we come down to. But that's not all. Because all of this is what we call just cognitive shapes. And I'd like to open it up some more to not just cognitive shapes of the mind, but more to cognitive shapes of your state of being or shapes of your being. So we can call this next chapter shapes of your being. And these are more cognitive shapes like the triangle, the cube, and the circle. They work best for the mind. If you're trying to fit them into the experiential world and something much deeper than the mind, then it's a bit tricky. It's They don't fit that well. They really just fit well with words. They fit well with with talking. So here's another trio which will help you more with the deeper stuff. This will help you with going beyond the mind and going more into emotions and experiences and sensory perception. So here's another big three that if you're taking notes, you should write down. States of being. Solid. liquid, and gas. Solid, liquid, and gas. Now your state, how you are, in a poetic sense, can always be fit into these three things. And they mean exactly what they mean. And the definitions are exactly what the definitions are. And what comes to you when you hear these words is exactly how it is. Now let's go into it. What does it mean for something to be solid? When you are solid... Have you ever heard the phrase, that was really solid what you did? That was a solid result. I feel solid about that. That is rock solid. We're totally solid. 
the solid world, the real world, the tangible world. It's a brick that you pick up, you hold in your hand, and you know without a doubt, there's no question about it, that there is a brick in your hand. It's your grounding. It's what's unchanging. Now, when we talk about words, we can say that there's a scale of solid words. Some words, when you hear that word, you're absolutely sure of what it is. There's no confusion around it. You perfectly understand it. You can think of all your mundane examples. You know what a chair is. We're not going to have philosophical conversations about the definition of a chair. Although <laughs> some philosophers some philosophers some philosophers might be able to do that. That's possible to do, but for you and me, us common folk, I think a chair is a chair. It's really that simple. That's something that's solid. That's something that's real. And so look into your being. Look into what your life is. And you can find things which you know are solid. If you really search for them, if you really think it through and you feel it out, is something that you know is solid. And in fact, a lot of personal development or transformative practice is poised at finding those things. It's poised towards finding solidarity. I want to find my solidarity. That's my quest. You can turn a quest out of it. You can make a quest out of it. To find something that's true, that's, that's truly solid, that's my rock bottom. Have you heard that term rock bottom? I've, I've met my rock bottom, my rock bottom truth. Well, it's not an accident that that term is used because it's solid. And then we move to the liquid. So the liquid is the ocean, the river, the rain, the creek, the spring. The, the river is flowing. And that's totally different to something that's solid. A river is made of many parts. It's made of small parts. So small that they all merge together into one thing. One flowing thing. And a river is constant. A river is always there. It's always flowing. Of course, when it dries up. So when we're talking about flow, it's something very different to something that's solid. Often flow is associated with creative acts or performance acts. When we're talking about flow, we step into something where 
things happen one after another in a seamless and perfectly, seemingly perf- perfectly choreographed way. When you have flow, you have the ability to move and act and let things happen as they want to happen. There's something natural about it. There's something very natural about how, a cr- how water runs, how a creek runs. Can you hear the sound of a creek? Do you know that water is flowing across the rocks? Can you hear the flow of the wind in the trees? The wind flows ever so subtly. And when it rustles the leaves, it comes on gradually and then disappears softly. It might be there only for a short time, but it's a flow. Can you sense the flow of the day? The flow of the clouds overhead? Sometimes clouds move very slowly. You really have to sit and stare and look up to see how they how they are moving. But one thing is for sure is that a cloud is not a solid. And in fact, the flow of a cloud brings me nicely to our third trilogy, which is gas. Solid, liquid, glass. Solid, liquid, gas. The cloud is something of newness. It's something of freshness. It's your ideas. It's growth. It's expanding. It's insight. The shape of a cloud is never the same twice. It's the ever-changing chaos. The cloud is completely opposite to the solid. And the cloud is unclear. When we say we have foggy thinking, or I don't feel clear about it, or I don't see it clearly... That's when we're in the cloud. And you can actually notice this if you if you close your eyes and you try to see what what is unclear. What is unclear to you? And you can you can do this with any issue. You can do it with a problem or you can do it with something you want more clarity on. You can do it with whatever's bothering you or whatever you want to improve. You simply close your eyes and you look at it and you see that it's cloudy. It's hazy. And you try to see, well, what are the details in that cloud? Where's the edge of that cloud? Where does that confusion stop? Where is there something openness, the flowingness of a cloud? <laughs> we could say that there's a a flowing cloud. <laughs> Is that what happens when it rains? It's a liquid and a gas. <laughs> so 
So taking into your being, if you go into your being in your meditation and you close your eyes and you you either address specific things or you just open up to yourself, you can see what it's like to be a cloud. You can even use it as an archetype, like we say, you adopt the lone wolf, which I was talking about recently. You say, what's it like to be the lone wolf? You can say, what's it like to be the cloud? There are people like that. Have you ever met someone like that where you say that person is really fluffy? Wow, that person is is a bit of a dandy. They're a bit romantic. They're a bit off in the clouds. Have you heard that phrase before? You're off with the you're off with the pixies. Your head is in the clouds. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. When you look into your being and you confront something that's unclear or something that's different. Now, you can develop this cloudness within you. You can learn to see that there's a newness and you can see how your thoughts have the exact same shape as a cloud. And that can be a bit tricky to recognize just by looking in. So cloud watching as a meditation, you can turn this turn this into a meditation. So cloud watching as a meditation. And the interesting thing about cloud watching is you have, I've forgotten the term for it, but you remember there's this thing, there's actually a scientific term for it, but you look at the cloud and you say, oh, there's a bunny rabbit or, oh, there's a horse. Or, oh, oh, there's grandma's face or <laughs> no offense to grandma. <laughs> it could be anyone's face. It was just grandma. Sorry, grandma. I'm not saying your face looks like a cloud. <laughs> it depends. It could be a very nice cloud, but, but yeah, let me get back on track. You, you're sitting and you're looking at the cloud. That's you projecting your understanding, your cognitive structure onto the cloud. So cloud meditation is reversing that where you take the cloud in to change your cognitive structure or on a deeper level, the, the structure of your being. So this phenomena of looking at the cloud and seeing the rabbit or grandma's face is the same as listening to someone talk and hearing that they're talking in a triangle or talking in a cube or talking in a circle. It's just that when we, when we have the pattern of the triangle, circle, or the cube, then there's more options for us to help understand where they're coming from and see what their cognitive structure is. Whereas with the solid, the liquid, and the gas, that's more experiential. And with this cloud meditation, which I guess is this episode's prescription, I hate to use the word prescription. I don't want to say... And it's not really advice either. I guess I guess it's a suggestion. I guess I should be more of a man and just say, look, I'm giving you advice. Take it or leave it. Something like that. But there's something very aggressive about that. I don't really like to be so aggressive. Take this as a gentle suggestion. A gentle thing that you can experiment with if you like. Go and look at some clouds. Have a nice day just looking at clouds. 
And when you do see the bunny rabbit or the horse or grandma's face, just remember that that's you. And you can turn this meditation of cloud gazing into something that opens up your being, turns your being into a gas. It makes it light. The liquid that flows is is still quite heavy. I mean, a solid object is heavy, and a liquid is also heavy, especially compared to a cloud. A cloud is light. You can say, well, someone's really off in the clouds if they're doing cloud gazing. And maybe that's what you need. You need to lighten up a bit. You need to be more free-flowing. Another thing that comes to mind is that a cloud or a gas is transparent. And it's not transparent in the way of glass or reflective see-through things. But there's a transparency to it. And transparency is one of these words that we use in psychology to indicate a a multidimensional experience of reality. So when you are opening up and you've really got these things complexified and clear within you, everything becomes transparent. So you can have something that's solid, but also transparent. That's when we really start to get into a deeper understanding and things become more vibrant inside your being. So solidarity and transparency. Now we're just starting to combine different ideas and different techniques. Like this word, the solid, the liquid, the gas, or the object, the flow, and the cloud. These, if you hear what I'm doing, I'm hoping you can, there's enough examples of And it's the same with the triangle cube and the circle. You can create your own. These are your, these are just examples of how to go about opening up your being and how to open up your experience within yourself. And, you know, the rational listening is, that's a lot to do with how you listen to someone's words. So it's one thing to sort out the mind and sort out the words that you have on a regular basis. And it's one thing to sort out the meanings of those words and to see how they're connected and to have that all clean and clear and simple and to be relaxed with that. And then it's a different thing to look into your being and see what it's like to be you. What are your emotions? What are your experiences? And we can thread, let me just thread another one. You've got the, let's thread sensory perception experience. And let's thread, let's thread, let's just choose one of the senses. So smelling. So if a a solid smell is a smell that you really know what it is dog shit (laughs) when you smell it you know exactly what it is and it hits you on the nose it's a solid smell that is dog shit (laughs) yeah so that's sensory perception 
of smell through solid. What would a flowing liquid smell be like? Well, it's more soft around the edges. It's more gentle. It's more gradual. It's not as strong. And then we have the the gas. Well, if you smell gas, this sort of this is a funny little trick, isn't it? If you smell gas and someone's farted, <laughs> is that a solid smell? <laughs> it's a it's a a gas smell is a solid smell. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just say that a gassy smell or a cloud smell is is less clear. So chances are wherever you are now, there's not a strong smell. Strong smells don't come along very often. Well, I hope not. I hope you're not farting too often. But have a sniff right now and get in touch with the the subtlety of the smell of your room. If you've been in your room for some time, basically you've tuned out, your nose has tuned out what it smells like. And I had I had a housemate once where he just stank so bad and we couldn't understand how he could live with it, but he was always in his room and it stunk so bad. We just hated it when he opened his door and he had so much washing. Even though he did so much washing, he was always stinky. But he had a hard case of being, a, a, you know, a pig in mud, of being oblivious to your own sensory perception because you've been there so long, you've numbed it so much. So hopefully you're not in that case. Hopefully when I'm telling you to smell your room or wherever you are, you are learning to sensitize. You're sending the signal to your nose to sense something subtle, wherever you are, smell. What does it smell like right now? Take a deep breath in your nose. Breathe out the mouth. Take time to really smell where you are right now. Now that's a that's the smell of a cloud. The category of the cloud. Your subtle smells are the smells of the cloud. The solid smells are the ones that assault your nose. It doesn't have to be dog shit. It could be something nice as well. So that's an example, this sensory perception of smell. I mean, we can do it with sight, we can do it with hearing, we can do it with touch, we can do it with taste, solid liquid gas. This is our, uh, str- these, these are words which we're stringing together to help open up our experiences, to open up our being. So we've got the triangle, the cube, and the circle. We've got solid, liquid, gas. We've got mythic, rational, and pluralistic. 
and then we've got the mind and all its words, and then we've got the being and your experience. So I hope all of that gives something to chew on. There was one other cognitive structure which I didn't mention, which was binary thinking. And this is where you say everything is fitting into two things. And I mentioned this recently when I was talking about emotional mastery or emotional intelligence, where there's a complexity to emotional intelligence, where you can say there's only two emotions, fear or love or whatever other combination you like, and you fit all your emotions into that. But the same can be said of cognitive shapes, where you basically put a one or a zero on something. So you start by, you you pick something up and you say, well, that's one. And then the next thing comes along and you say, well, that's zero. Or you start with zero, you can start with one. And then another thing comes up and you say, well, that's zero, zero. And then another thing comes up and you say, well, that's one, one. And then another comes up and it's like zero, zero, zero or zero, one, zero. And then you have this big, long strings. That's basically how a computer thinks is this big, long string of ones and zeros, ones and zeros. And I don't really know too much about it, but binary thinking is another way of understanding and another way of getting into, well, it doesn't really complexify it. It simplifies it. And it's a reductionistic way of thinking. So, and I I mean like the experience of, talking to someone who is binary is it's quite frustrating because they'll say things like well is it this or is it not this it's either this or it isn't this what you're saying doesn't fit with this these sorts these sorts of phrases are from the binary way of being the binary way of cognizing so zeros and ones and zeros and ones you can experiment with that too so i think that just about covers it for now i just remind you one more time to look at some clouds maybe for these last few minutes we'll have some silence and wherever you are if you can whatever you're doing just spend these last few minutes looking at some clouds And when you look at them, just remember that these clouds are the shapes of your thoughts. These clouds are the shapes of your being. They're the shape of your experience. So enjoy your cloud watching, my fluffy friends. My name is Dosta. And that's all I have to say for now.